Welcome to the Recruitment Leadership Podcast, hosted by Alison Humphreys. The Recruitment Leadership Podcast is here to help those in the recruitment industry gain awareness and understanding on the hot topics faced by those in the business of hiring people. In each episode, Alison Humphreys is joined by a fellow expert to offer professional knowledge, insight and advice on the biggest subjects affecting recruitment businesses. It's the podcast to listen to for recruitment business frontrunners seeking expert information from industry-leading advisors. Welcome to the Recruitment Leadership Podcast. So hello, welcome to the Recruitment Leadership Podcast. Um, I'm delighted to be joined today by an old friend and associate, and when I say old, I mean of long standing, um, Zena Everett, welcome. Uh, so for our listeners, Zena is an expert leadership coach. Um, and I've personally known Zena for over 20 years because she, in fact, used to um, own and run a recruitment to recruitment search specialist. Um, and I used them personally as both a client and a candidate. But Zena, you've got a very interesting um, career history, not just in recruitment. So over to you, perhaps you could explain Um, your background for our listeners. So hasn't recruitment changed an awful lot since those days? So I sell my recruitment business because I was most interested in why some people were more successful than others. So I did my organizational psychology masters and lots of other coaching training. And then I realized, so I would help somebody get a new job or get a big bit of new responsibility, whatever it was. And I'd say something kind of irritating and coachy to them, like, you know, how's that laser focus we agreed for your first 100 days plan in your new role? And they would say, yeah, Zena, I don't do any of that because I'm in back-to-back meetings all day and I'm rushing around and I've got all these curveballs coming my way. And at about four o'clock, I start to think, yeah, what was the thing that I was absolutely certain I was going to do today? And when am I actually going to do it? So I realized that there's some link between vision and strategy and success. And that is prioritization and working really efficiently. And I must say that I've realized, I think I always knew this, but gosh, we recruiters are really, really good, or those of us that that's how we trained, because we are naturally entrepreneurial, and we're naturally very good at focusing our time and thinking, what do I need to do to really kind of, you know, hit my target? However, since I got well out of recruitment, we've, digitization has layered this huge layer of work on top of the real work. And I appreciate that for most of us, I mean, we wouldn't be having this conversation without great tech use, would we? However, without really judicious use of all the tech available to us, we can spend a lot of time going down black holes. And I realise that it's called, it's something called organisational drag, which are all the other things that happen in organisations that get in the way of getting our real work done. Okay, so... Now, you've had a very fruitful lockdown, Zena, because uh, Zena's produced a new book, The Crazy Busy Cure, which is available on Amazon now. Um, and it's a, a really good read. It's written in a, um, I think, a very lively style and one which recruiters will find very, very um, sympathetic. 
Um, there's lots of anecdotes and examples and really actionable points in there. So it's on this that we're going to focus. Um, so you've just mentioned, Zina, about organisational drag. And I, I'd like to just talk about that for a moment. Some of the symptoms that you've observed, um, whether in recruitment or in other industries, of people being crazy busy, to coin your phrase, um, why the world needed this book, if you will. Well, I've I've read a squillion time management and productivity and leadership books, and as you probably have too, like we're junkies of this kind of stuff. I did incidentally want to write something that people would actually read to the end, because I read somewhere that most of us just read the first third and think I haven't got time to finish it, which is the problem. So so what I realised that my clients were dog-tired, actually, they often, if I said to leaders of businesses, you know, what is it that you really, really want to get done this year or this quarter that would really move the needle in your business? And how much time do you spend on it? They often said to me, well, you know, there's this system that's just not right. Or there's this great big bit of business that I want to go after. And if I did that, I wouldn't have to do anything else on my list of priorities. That was the game changer. I'd say, okay, well, how much time do you spend on it? And they would say, naught to 5% if they're honest. And this kept happening over and over again. And then there's all that, you know, that we always have this kind of rushing level of anxiety and getting to the end of the week and saying, thinking, I haven't had time to do this and this. And I could see it in my own diary. So I, I earn a living from selling my time bad model anyway and I thought I just don't have time to you know to do one thing and really do it properly so I realized that many of us have this kind of low level of anxiety where we get our work done but we don't have time to really think and to plan and you know as you and I both work in the space of peak performance that's what we're interested in always what are the difference between people that are really super successful and 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 maybe the rest of us who do really well but know that we've got that you know that extra piece to give and I've realized that the people that are super successful are so good at prioritization and that doesn't mean saying yes to something big invariably it means saying no to all the small stuff that just are the time sucks and I think probably know what those big time sucks are often it's emails it's all the messages that we have on different digital channels remember when we first went into lockdown how many lockdown memes were being sent which were kind of funny but then you thought I'm getting overwhelmed with these I haven't got time to go through all my groups and then there's constant meetings so and I, I, what I've realized myself I don't know how you feel about this but sometimes people say look you know, let's set up a meeting to discuss this. And you think, gosh, in the time that we've gone backwards and forwards to get everybody in a meeting, we could have just had a call and solved the problem and got on with it. So I think sometimes business moves at kind of glacial pace. Right. So I think some of our listeners will recognise what you described there. Um, just to bring it into sharp focus, just last week, I was with a client of mine, a recruitment business owner, who is desperate to grow his business. The demand is all there, 
the uh, the vacancies are there, the systems are in place, but he simply can't hire. Now that's partly because of the real challenges around finding experienced hires at the moment. Uh, he has neither the time to train an experienced recruiter, uh, an inexperienced recruiter, or to find and engage with an experienced recruiter. And um, so this has been a recurring theme in our meetings. It was there in the minutes from last time we'd agreed certain actions, which he said, well, Alison, I just haven't had the time to carry out those actions. And um, so I asked him, how much time have you actually dedicated to internal hiring? And his response was none, because there was always something more urgent to do. So I think a lot of recruitment business owners will recognize that. And it's it's now really become a break on his business. Um, and additionally to that, I can totally recognize the situation you describe of multiple incoming channels. Um, and when I compare this to when I first started in recruitment, where pretty much your only incoming channel was a telephone or someone actually, you know, footsteps in your office. Um, there are an awful lot of channels and technology for people to cover today, aren't there? Um, can you give us the, the in brief, Zina, the, the benefits of finding a cure for this and any examples or anecdotes that you can think of? Do you know, I, I just think about what you're saying. I come back all the time to my recruitment training, which I think might have come from you at one stage, saying to people, get that job description right. If you know your job description, exactly what you're supposed to do, exactly what you're supposed to measure on, we used to say that to us, get that all right, and then you'll be able to make a good hire because you know exactly what that person was supposed to do. And the number of times I say to people in businesses, right, what are you actually being measured on? Because that, is, that will tell you where you need to focus your time and attention. And they might say, do you know, I'm not sure because I'm doing this and I'm doing that and I'm tasked with developing this, but I've got to keep the show on the road. And, you know, we are all balancing, particularly recruitment leaders, the whole need to be a bit ambidextrous. We've got to manage business as usual now with all the complications of that, but we've also got to be looking ahead. And somebody in their business has to be doing both if they can't do both. So consequently, they have to really be scrupulous and ruthless about their time and think all the time, is this my intention? Like, you know, be intentional with their time. Think if I'm doing this, what should I be doing instead? Not sure that's the direct answer to your question, but so it all comes back to recruitment 101 if you get someone's job description right and they think what am I doing what does a high performer in my role do if I knew I was leading a super successful business where should I focus my time and attention that's what they need to do and they need to cut out all the other curveballs but I find that people you know in this all the things that you're saying about interviewing, that will be happening in their own clients as well. Their own clients don't have time to interview, do they? And they don't know at the moment whether I'm having this conversation with my kind of corporate clients. They don't know they've got retention problems, they've got recruitment problems, and they just don't know where to look. And then when we do the old-fashioned audit of, well, let's look at your calendar then, they are just in a whole load of meetings about other stuff. 
And the problem is that they don't have time to focus on one thing because their days are fragmented. So rather than thinking, right, Monday morning, this is what I'm going to do. Monday afternoon, this is what I'm going to do and so on. They've got an hour here, 90 minutes here, and they're always rushing. And all the evidence is that they are, they're getting their work done kind of, but we know they're not planning and they're not thinking strategically. But they're also anxious and unfulfilled because they're not in flow, which we know is the holy grail of getting anything done. And they're not thinking. And actually, you know, we're knowledge workers. It's, it's how we think is the biggest differentiator. So it's, it's a kind of peppered week of a bit of this and a bit of this and a bit of this, rather than just doing one thing properly. And to your point, I know you said that sometimes grabbing a great candidate will is the is the make or break isn't it particularly at the moment but i th- uh, what i've seen is sometimes people have got so much going on they don't they need to cull everything that gets in the way of that so maybe they have an eye open for that email or that linkedin message or whatever it is or that coming through on your on your channels got to have that but anything else has to be culled so brutally you know recruitment leaders have to manage in order to be productive They have to help their teams be super intentional with their energy, with their time and what they pay attention to. And we know those super smart tech companies are focused on just making us pay attention all the time to their products. So let's let's move on to the key, um, the key learnings to take from your book. Um, because I know that our audience will be interested in, okay, well, what could I action here? Um, so um, what what are your biggest techniques and tips? Um, a summary, if you would, please. So I think it's it's, first of all, building in planning time, which we know makes a huge amount of difference and people that plan are 25% more successful and all that kind of stuff. So I would say block out time to plan whether that's, you know, 10 to 11.30 on Monday or something. I don't know. I wouldn't be that prescriptive, but on Friday afternoon. And I have just seen that makes a huge difference to the leaders that I work with, a huge difference for just to calm it down. I would look at how you communicate with your teams internally, because when I do this work in whatever industry, they say it's not the external people that's the problem. It's the constant Teams messages that I get 24-7 from my boss and my other Teams members. You know, have you got this? What did we charge them last time? All this kind of stuff. Information that should be available if they just stopped. So what some organizations are doing, and again, everybody has to decide what works, but to really communicate on how we're going to work together and agree these things. You know, so what some companies might do is stop internal emails between certain times of the day or certain days of the week or something like that. Or, you know, to really get a grip of this and think it's just not acceptable. And I'm always most thoughtful about, the, you know, the kind of younger managers and team leaders who've got their own billings responsibilities and they're managing a team which who they don't have time to train properly and all those kinds of things. So I think they have to be much more aggressive about cutting out the curveballs. I would say phones are a huge problem. 
And again, the, the research is, is that when we're interrupted from doing something, so su- suppose you're drafting an email to somebody and then your phone pings, we tend to immediately check it because we're people pleasers and you know we're a service industry and all those things. And the research is that we do two other things before we go back to doing what we were trying to do. So that's why everything takes longer. So we think we've sent emails and at the end of the day, we realize that they're, you know, they're still at the bottom of our screen. They haven't gone. So in a way, you know, as I always say, my staff is kind of what our grandparents would have taught us before we got to the kind of, you know, if they understood how they, we work now, they would think we're in some kind of mad dystopian future. Um, I would really get people to think about their phone use we know the university of virginia did this great research where they realized that just actually having your phone next to you can reduce cognitive ability and our ability to kind of move quickly and be agile in our thinking now again i appreciate that the business phone is useful during the day for the candidate sourcing and so on but i would cut out any channels that are, and any apps that are distracting you know, we joined Facebook. I'm completely off it now. I hate it for all the obvious reasons. But, you know, we joined Facebook whenever it came out because kind of to look at the, the marital status of people we were at school with, didn't we? We thought, well, that'll be, you know, 20 minutes, half an hour a week. Didn't realize now, how many times do people check Facebook during the day? And you add up, you know, you compound all those times and it's not the time in itself. It's actually the switch tasking of going one from another, which makes people tired. So I think there has to be a real conversation about phone use. You know, what are we looking at during the day? How many times do you check your Instagram and so on? And, and you know, we can kid ourselves, can't we, that we're, we're doing candidate sourcing or market research or something. So we're not. So I think what leaders are doing, are act, really looking at their internal meeting etiquettes, if something is sending out information, do they really need to get everybody to down tools and all listen synchronously? Can they send it out as a podcast? You know, can they say, listen to this in your own time? Go for a walk at, you know, at some stage during the day and listen to this. We don't need you to all down tool at once. So I think be much more active about meetings. And look at their internal communication use. I think those are the, I think they're the first two that people say makes the most difference. And look how often they're sending team meetings and how much they actually interrupt each other. And then have those conversations about, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, I am a real dinosaur. So when I was in recruitment, I had real fixed two hour blocks of what I was doing when. And again, it's slightly different now because we have, we have that kind of immediacy. But there are times when we have to work synchronously with everybody else there are times when we can switch off and do something and work really effectively and we don't have to be synchronous with everybody else we can be asynchronous so so i I, to sum up i think recruitment leaders have to realize that they also have to manage people individually they have to manage their help them to manage their energy and attention as much as their actual performance is what are they paying attention to and is that super effective so i i completely recognize that issue of um task switching and how distracting it is and consequently ends up taking more of your time so just this morning i was working through some very detailed work on on terms of business for a client 
And the only way to do it is to switch off everything else I've got open um, uh, because otherwise I was constantly getting distracted. However, most of the recruiters I know will be listening to this message and going, yes, 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 we get that's how, what things should be like, but we are in a sales-driven industry, which is highly time-sensitive, and where the difference between speaking to a candidate now or speaking to them in 20 minutes could be the difference between you know, hitting my, my financial goals or not in this month. So uh, they would argue that recruiters are in a different position from other people who can control more of how they spend their time. How would you respond to that? Well, I think that's exactly what we're talking about, is that recruiters have to make sure that they've cleared the deck. So if talking to the candidates is the difference between success or failure this month, they have to be completely focused and being on it. So actually, if they are faffing around on the peripheries of LinkedIn or sending a kind of fairly purposeless email when they could have just picked up the phone and dealt with the problem, um, if they're doing anything that distracts from talking to a candidate, that's actually what we're talking about. And presumably, they're really careful on tracking the data so they know when you know, candidates are likely to phone in. So their flow time and their emailing time and the checking the terms of business and writing those proposals are, are managed quite carefully so that they're not at the peak time when it's likely that they're going to get a call. And again, there is something around, you know, if you have to go offline for a couple of hours and you're responsible for kind of managing an inbox, you know, can somebody else do that for you? So there has to be kind of some communication around it. But the biggest problem that people tell me is that they do so many different things and they just don't do anything properly. So because they're half doing all these things, they're half monitoring an inbox and they're half sending emails and they're half writing a new business proposal and so on, everything kind of gets done, but it doesn't get as well uh, as done as well and as efficiently as it could be. So it's it's almost asking yourselves these questions. You know, what's the most important thing for my desk or my business that I need to do today? And actually, does my diary reflect that? So, uh, and I, I, you know, I'm sure the times when I do work with recruiters, they the one thing that doesn't happen is new business because it's not scheduled in. So they're so busy kind of doing all these other things. They say, oh no, I couldn't, you know, that normal, I couldn't get a hold of them or didn't have time to do that. We still hear that kind of same thing. And that's because the time isn't scheduled to actually do it. We're just lost in, we're lost in meetings and calls and an awful lot of kind of zero sum emailing that's pointless because people are too nice. We're nice. That's why we do it. <laughs> So let's just summarise what we've covered so far. You've said about the absolutely critical importance of planning. And planning means not just squeezing everything in, but taking stuff out so that the majority of your time is spent on the most important things. Second, we've talked about bosses having an honest conversation about whether we need to all be involved in meetings and whether there isn't a better way to communicate information, for example. Um, so, I, and I, I totally recognise that where a, l a lot of times the default position is to call a meeting just to get people to listen to information that, in fact, could be sent out via another means. Now, in your book, you also use an acronym about um, for managing your diary. You talk about 
pimping your diary? Is this an appropriate place to explain what you, exactly you mean? When, when I've talked to recruitment leaders, they say, I do not have, have time to think strategically. So I'm doing all the other stuff. I'm keeping the show on the road. Possibly they're too far in the weeds, but that's probably another conversation. So what they have to do is book in strategic planning time to actually stop and think and look at their business plan, et cetera, competitive analysis and so on. And, and we know that if something isn't scheduled, it doesn't happen because life gets in the way. And, it, you know, Sunday morning is not the best time for this. So, so you pimp. You, you understand your priority, so say that's planning time. You insert it in your diary. You mean it, so it has to be, first of all, it has to be done at a sensible time when you're not going to be peak service time. You have to, it has to be meaningful, so it has to be something really important to you, not, not doing your expenses or something, you know, that can fit in around the sides and you can multitask on it. And then you have to have a prompt. And this is one of the biggies that I find that if, if I know I need to write something, I set myself an alarm to start it. So the alarm goes off and I do it and I go somewhere else to do it. So either on a different chair or to a cafe now or wherever it is to actually get something done. So hopefully a quiet corner of the office when we're back in. And then I set myself a prompt to finish it. So I don't think, okay, I'm going to get completely lost. I'm not going to have time to check my inbox or whatever it is to respond to something. But I think I'm going to set myself 45 minutes just to do that task. And putting in that kind of rigor, being aware of what we should do and having it in our diary. So our diaries are actually full of tasks not just full of meetings and calls. So you actually think, you know, I know I need to do the proposal. I need, know I need to write that email. Have I got time in my diary to actually do it? So when we've got tasks planned in our diary of the important things, then that goes some way to calm that kind of anxiety that we're always rushing and that we just don't have too much time to do anything. So we can kid ourselves by being super busy that we're getting things done, but we're not getting the really important things done. And I think for your clients, leaders of people businesses, one thing they really need to think about is chunking up their time. So if they're having one-to-ones wherever possible, that's what they do. And they go from one to the other really quickly and they're not losing that downtime in between. If they're having client meetings or client calls, try and do those all at once if possible. I know this is ideal world stuff, but what we need to do, sometimes it's almost about going slower to go faster, to remove as much kind of friction in the system and think, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do it really well. I'm going to allow time to prepare. I mean, how many times have we jumped on a call with, with that's been really hard to get with a prospective client? And, you know, it's been a real effort to be on that call on time. And we haven't done our preparation and planning or maybe that's just me but I don't think so and that's because we're not thinking right I've got that call I need to give myself 20 minutes before that call to get to not to send emails in between but actually to really plan and do it as well as I possibly can do so we have to slow down you know we really have to slow down do things intentionally and do them properly and it is the role of leaders of any organisations to remove the grits in the system that slows us down. And I often say to my clients, look, imagine that you are running a production line 
what we're doing is we have somebody working on something and then we stop the line and say, no, look, can you just do this? Or can you help me with this? Or, or have you got five minutes? And then we start the line again, rather than doing one thing really efficiently and then moving on to the next. And probably they need to do two things if they have to pay attention and look out for a candidate. That's fair enough. But, you know, you know, you can only concentrate on one real cognitive task at one time. But we can do seven low level tasks, apparently. So we kind of pay attention to different things. But we can't listen to this podcast while drafting an important proposal. We just can't because you've got to concentrate on one thing at once. And it's trying to do this. These are all the problems that contribute to inefficiency, us working way longer hours than we should do, so people that are dog tired. Um, And this, you know, the mental health problems that people are experiencing because people are anxious, because their time is frustrated. And my final point is that, you know, we know the holy grail of getting stuff done is to work in flow, isn't it? When, you know, we have all those dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, endorphins, norepinephrine, anandamide are all released at once because we're really thinking. And that's what we need us and our teams to do is to really think. And when we are interrupted by complex digital channels and all the stuff that comes our way, it's, it's an impediment to getting in flow. And I always think you look at the tech businesses and how rigid and disciplined they are themselves about not using the tech that they're giving us. Whereas, you know, we are kidding ourselves that having a family WhatsApp and, you know, you know all the other stuff that's going on, it, it's not helping us. Mm. Yes, I think it's quite well documented, isn't it, that most uh, social media channels um, are precisely designed to steal your attention. Um, And that's counterproductive. But um, last question, I think a lot of our listeners will say, look, I get this, Zena. You know, I understand that I should identify my priorities, spend my time on my priorities um, and, um, you know, simplify the number of task switching things I do during a, a day. However, I am constantly interrupted by other people's priorities. So do you have any practical advice for people in how to handle those persistent low level interruptions that in fact are about other people's priorities rather than your own? Well, you know, in the book I talk about knowing your antelopes. So I'd say we've got to be like the lions and just chase after antelopes that, you know, that we can feed off rather than all the level, low level, low value field mice that get in the way. So you kind of have to know who your people antelopes are, your boss, your chairman, your best clients and so on. And you respond to those. In my experience, a lot of the people that are the most annoying to deal with are that, you know, it's the 80-20, the 80% of the aggro comes from people that give you 20% of your revenue, not the other way around. So I think we've got to be quite strong. And I've had to do this in the past and thinking, you know, that client doesn't pay me very much, but gives me a world of pain. So that's the end of that relationship. So there's something about that. There's also something about saying to people, look, I've noticed So, Alison, I noticed that you email me, you send me a message at seven o'clock in the morning saying that you've got a meeting at eight o'clock with a client and, you know, asking for information. Now, clearly, you're my boss, so it's no problem whatsoever, but it would really help if we had a chat every week. So I knew what sales meetings you've got coming up. 
and I can give you better information because I'm not rushing it. So I've noticed it's quite a nice non-confrontation, not, not passive aggressive to actually get on top of this and say, because invariably the people that are the most demanding are disorganized because they're crazy busy. They're still wearing it kind of 1990s badge of honor and they're rushing around because they have no time for planning so we have to manage those that might mean about managing upwards and deal with them Mm. Um, and you've just highlighted for me a classic recruitment syndrome which is what I call being an, an adrenaline junkie there are I do know a lot of people in recruitment who are so addicted to that feeling of pressure that they feel deeply uncomfortable when that pressure isn't there. Um, You know, the the crazy busy, I'm doing three things. That's how they measure their own value rather than necessarily the outputs or the results. And even if that's happening at a subconscious level, it can be um, really damaging if that person's in a position of running a business, can't it? Okay, so um, just coming back to, is there anything else you wanted to highlight from your your book before we wrap up, Sina? Well, I just wanted to say, you've, you've reminded me earlier on about how people can get lost in details. So I find sometimes when it's to your exact point, when they think, mm, I actually, I've got really good teams, I've got people, they know what they're doing, what should I do? Because we are adrenaline, adrenaline junkies and we like to be active and, you know, that's all in our DNA, sometimes we kind of hone down into the wrong bit of detail. So it's, it is really about, again, being intentional, thinking, what is my purpose in the business? What would somebody who's a high performer in my role do next? That might be, actually, I'm just going to stop and think now. Let's look at what my competitor's doing. Let's look at what my clients are doing. Let's look for opportunities, whatever it is. Whereas the tendency can go back and think, hmm, you know, what's Zena doing? And let's have a conversation. Let's pick up a phone and, you know, kind of chat or get in the way or, or get in some kind of details. So that is the dichotomy I, I find with managers. It's, a, it's quite a strong transition to think maybe I'm not crazy busy, but actually I can be really happy and productive. So who in my team have I, you know, can I spend 20 minutes saying to somebody, you know, I've noticed X. That was a great call, but I've thought about a way that maybe it could be improved. Shall we got time to have a chat about it? Do some training. That's the other thing that people say to me constantly. You know, I haven't got time to train my team, so I end up doing it myself. I think, okay, well, you have. That needs to be scheduled in, spending time, you know, all those kinds of things. It's really being, I think it's being quite tough on ourselves and thinking, you know, where do I need to spend my time? Going back to... What's my job description? What am I being measured on? And ultimately, is it doing three things at once and rushing around and often creating chaos and and creating complexity? And if people have got a bit of free time, maybe look at their systems, look at the reports that they ask. Think, actually, when did I last go through this report with Alison? Why am I asking for all that information? Maybe I just need these two bits of data and that will tell me everything I need to know. So they should be looking again, all the bit of grit in the system to slow it down and see their job as smoothing the path. I kind of call it lawnmower manager. What we need to do is is have leaders making life as easy as possible for people so they can perform to their best of their ability in reasonable hours and come back full of beans the next day rather than making things complicated for them, which sometimes managers can 
unintentionally do. So, Zena, if anybody is looking to um, have a read of your book, which I must say is, a, I thought, a brilliant refresher on some of the most important principles of time management. But for many people who are, um, you know, who are millennials or perhaps more recently into this most multi-channel work, workplace, this will be new. Um, I think it's very entertainingly written. It's easy to action. Uh, where can people find the book, The Crazy Busy Cure? Well, anywhere. So it's on Amazon, but you can order it from your favourite bookshop. If it isn't in there, they'll be able to get hold of it. So I'd love it if you went to your favourite local bookshop. That would be amazing. So and if anybody wants a bulk order, then let me know and I'll put them in touch with my publisher. And I'm sure we can do some hefty discounts, but that would be great. Thank you. Thank you, Zena. Uh, if you'd like to know a little bit more about Zena, her uh, her website is zenaeverett.com. Zena, thank you so much for being my guest. It's lovely to catch up with a, a, a friend from so long. For so long. Um, this is Alison Humphreys. If you'd like to talk about the uh, the key antelopes of your business and sort them out, that's my business is uh, workplace strategy and working out how to grow your business sustainably and profitably. Uh, this has been the Recruitment Leadership Podcast. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Recruitment Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed our podcast, please subscribe, review and share so that others can find the podcast too. We really appreciate your support. If you have any questions about the topics covered or wish to find out more about recruitment leadership, please email alison at recruitmentleadership.co.uk referencing the podcast. We're also on LinkedIn where you can follow recruitment leadership and connect with Alison Humphreys. Thank you for listening and we hope you join us next time for another episode of the Recruitment Leadership Podcast.